Amen. If you would please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 47. We started briefly to look at that chapter. 46 and 47 are kind of tied together. 46 talks about Babylon's idols. And Isaiah again is highlighting the fact that God is superior, that there's Jehovah has supremacy over all the idols, and that because he is above his creation, not part of it, he can basically do as he pleases, but what you find is God does things in accordance with his character. And because he's righteous and just and holy and good, any changes he may make in how he does stuff is going to align to that. He will never violate his character. But the idols can't speak, they can't hear, they can't talk, they can't move. And over and over again, Isaiah has been beating that drum that Jehovah carries Israel, but you got to carry your idols. The idols don't carry you. And so... In chapter 47, we come to the place where God is directing Isaiah to speak directly to Babylon. And keep in mind, in pagan thought, when they took Jerusalem, when they, over, they had victory over it and they took the people captive, they're basically thinking, our gods are bigger than your God. Our gods are stronger than your God. Our gods gave you to us. And here in this chapter, we're going to find that God's not surprised. He's also not excited about it. He didn't fail. And he's going to tell exactly why they had victory. And it wasn't because their idols were more powerful. So let's read this chapter, starting in verse 1 of chapter 47. Scripture reads, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and, the, and grind meal. Uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover thy thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent, and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was wroth with my people. I have polluted mine inheritance and given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy. Upon the ancient hast thou verily heavily laid thy yoke. Thou sayest, I shall be a lady forever. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart. Neither didst thou didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore hear now this, thou that art given to pleasure, that dwellest, care, dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thy heart, I am and none else beside me, 
I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection. For the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments, and thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, and thou hast said, None seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. Therefore shall evil come upon thee. Thou shalt not know from whence it, shall, it riseth, and mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. Stand with thine enchantments and with thy multitude of sorceries, wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. And if so be, thou shalt be able to profit. If thou be able, if, if so be thou mayest prevail. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers and stargazers and monthly prognet prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be as stubble, the fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm it, nor a fire to sit before it. Thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants from thy youth. They shall wander every one to his quarter. None shall save thee. So there's a lot going on in this, but there's some key points that I think we ought to look at today. And one of the ones that Isaiah's been saying all along and is kind of evident in this chapter is the fact Jehovah is God, there is none else. He said it multiple times in the previous chapter, and we see by what's going on in this chapter that it's still true, that he is the only God and there's none else. Babylon has some interesting thoughts and they're in this chapter, these thoughts and ideas that they have basically bring us to the place where God says they're going to be humiliated and shamed. And the first part of it, and we covered this last week, was the fact they're going to be sitting in the dust. Verse 1 points that out. Come down and sit in the dust. Now, if you think about that for a moment, we might choose to do some work where we sit down. In fact, someone caught me sitting down on the job in the past week as we were getting ready for Friday night. But that was by choice. But when we go home or when we are eating dinner or anything like that, we typically aren't eating on the ground or sitting on the ground. We're relaxing and we sit in a chair. In this case, Babylon has all the delicacies and is treated like a delicate woman. And it mentions in this verse that she's going to sit on the ground. And it mentions the fact that there's no throne. 
the throne has been removed. And so the idea that's being communicated is that Babylon is going to go through something that deprives her of all the riches and all the things that she boasts about. And so verse 2 kind of picks that up a little bit. Verse 2 is dealing with the fact that they're going to be doing manual labor instead of the royalty being in a throne room. They're going to be sitting on the ground. And verse 2, it says, Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, and cover thy thigh, and pass over the rivers. And the idea is, is um, I think most of us, when we think about a kingdom and we think about the royalty and all the majestic things that Babylon once had, their ladies were dressed in long robes and long dresses, but you can't work in that. Typically, um, in our society, we wear pants, but in theirs, they would have to pull the dresses up part way so that their leg would be bare. And so here they're doing the grinding of meal. And according to one commentary, and I would not know this otherwise, um, that was considered one of the lowest um, slave labor tasks that you could do. And so they're going from being a royal empire to one where the royalty is going to be doing manual labor, menial labor, slave labor. And then it mentions the fact their nakedness shall be uncovered. And that's usually tied to shame when the Bible talks about nakedness. Uh, it leaves a person vulnerable where they have nothing to cover and their uncomely parts are, are being seen. And, and God says he's going to take vengeance on Babylon. That's about where we left off last week, the first three verses. Verse four kind of disrupts my chain of thought. It basically puts in there the fact that Israel has a redeemer. Babylon's gloating when they take over Jerusalem, but one day the tables were going to be turned. Now we look back in history and we see what happened. And basically, God has redeemed Israel. He regathered his remnant, and they've been dispersed again. And then in 1948, they've been regathered again. But this part here highlights the fact Israel has a God that's taking care of them, not an idol that they have to carry. It says, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And then it goes back in verse 5 to talking about Babylon. What are they going to be doing in Babylon in verse 5? Okay, they're going to be sitting in silence and in darkness. Um, I remember there was one particular hurricane that came through, knocked out a lot of power, and someone said the only difference between our state and a third world country is the power switch. 
And that was a natural disaster that came through. But we were sitting in darkness. May not have been silent, but we were in darkness. But when horrific events have happened, and the one that comes to mind that I think caused all of us to just pause in silence was 9-11, where the planes crashed into the Twin Towers, and there wasn't much you could say other than to gasp, especially then when the towers collapsed. Whatever happened to Babylon back then, God's saying that they're going to sit in silence and in darkness. Now, they didn't have power like we do today, but they could still end up in darkness when they don't have any way to get lamps or candles or all the other things. And so what's being described in these first five verses is the fact that Babylon's going to be destroyed. And then the last thing it says is the lady of kingdoms is removed. Babylon viewed herself as kind of the, the main empire, that they were the top city to go to. If you talk about America, I could mention some cities. New York City, what do you think of? course nowadays you may think of a lot worse things than they used to be but they used to be thought of as what the city of the world city of commerce for the world okay um city that doesn't sleep los angeles what do you think of i didn't hear that smog okay that too and traffic and there's a lot of other things that aren't good things, but lots of crime, okay. Nowadays, because of how things have changed, that, that's what we think of. Now Las Vegas, everyone knows the motto of that, Sin City. If you think of Babylon in that time, it was considered like the queen city, the best city that you could go to at that time. And that's going to be removed. In verse 5 it says, Thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. And the last question that I la asked you last week was, what's the difference between humility and humiliated? Yes, ma'am. Humility is accepting the less than you may deserve willingly. And being humiliated is when something comes Okay, I, I think that was an excellent way of putting it. Humility is something we choose to be. We can either be proud or we can be humble and have humility, but it's a choice we make. Humiliated is usually brought upon us, sometimes by ourselves. We can humiliate ourselves, but more often than not, it's brought on by someone else doing something to us that embarrasses us. And so there is a big difference. Humility and being humble is a virtue that we have to choose. And it involves us denying self and putting away our pride. Humiliated, we don't have any choice in the matter a lot of times. Well, Babylon, it mentions 
is going to be humiliated by its destruction. And so Babylon is one city. Jerusalem is the other city. And we're going to look at these at the end. But in the interim, it mentions, I already kind of covered this, the fact that Israel's Redeemer is the Lord of hosts. He's the creator. He's also the Holy One of Israel. And that's one of the favorite titles that Isaiah has for him. You'll find it used more often, I think, in the book of Isaiah than any other book of the Bible. And God has mentioned the fact that Babylon had victory over Jerusalem because of why? Israel's sin. Okay, Israel's sin. And so you look at this, and verse 6 kind of highlights God's action. He says, I was wroth with my people. And I think Nancy hit the nail on, on the head. What makes God angry with us? Our sin. When we do not trust him and when we sin, that's when God has anger. And it's a righteous anger. And he says, I've polluted my inher inheritance. And so he's done this to Israel really after they started it. It's kind of like uh, when Moses led the Exodus out of Egypt. If you go back to Exodus and you read, the first couple times, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then after Pharaoh's been hardening his heart, there's a point where God says that he then hardens Pharaoh's heart. Well, that's the same thing that I think we're seeing here with Israel. God says, I was wroth, I've polluted mine inheritance, I've given them into thine hand. And that's the key phrase. Babylon, the only reason that you have Jerusalem and had victory over them is I delivered them to you. Uh, God may as well have gift-wrapped them and handed them to Nebuchadnezzar because they didn't take Jerusalem because of their idols. Now, he's also still not happy with Babylon. There's some more things starting in verse 6, some attitudes that Babylon has that prompt God's judgment, where Babylon is going to be destroyed. What are some of the things you see Babylon doing that is going to prompt God's judgment? Now, this is starting in verse 6. Yeah. Okay, no mercy. And so the first one is no mercy, and tied to that is the fact that they burdened the elderly. So those of us that may feel some frailty, they wouldn't have cared. They would have just piled stuff on us, and we would have been expected to bear that if we were in the shoes of the Jews that were taken captive. What else was their attitude? They're trying this false security in the idols. Okay. And I think that security that Linda's mentioning shows up in what's said in verse 7. It says, And thou sayest, I shall be a lady forever. 
They think that their kingdom, their empire, even though they're going to go from king to king, is going to last forever. And again, it's tied to the idols that they worship, that they think that's going to happen. So Babylon says they're going to be a lady forever. They're thinking that their kingdom is going to last forever. Um, kind of rivals what God says is going to happen concerning Messiah. But he didn't promise that to Babylon. And so that's prompting God's judgment. What else does this passage say to us about the interaction of Babylon and why God would judge them? Bobby? Okay. <clears throat> They're given to pleasures is down a little further. I'm going to stay in verse 7, but I'll, I'll cover what Bobby says when we get get down there they didn't lay the things to heart in other words they didn't even learn from God's dealings with Israel now think about that for a minute Nebuchadnezzar goes to Jerusalem we know this from history we know this from the book of Daniel he defeats Jerusalem he takes them captive and one of the guys he takes captive is a young man named Daniel. And Daniel is a man of integrity and a man that points to God. And I am sure, based on the interactions we get to see, that if he talked with Daniel very long, he got to know who Daniel's God really is. But yet he doesn't learn and the kings that follow him don't learn from the fact that God turned Israel, Jerusalem over to him because of their sin. And so they just pile their own, own sin higher and higher. I saw Bill's hand. Um, they don't believe in God. So therefore they don't believe that God could, has any controls on it on them and they don't see that all the people are God's people not just the uh, Jewish people but all the people are responsible to God okay Bill hits on a key thing and that is they definitely don't recognize Jehovah as their God they look at all these other idols in fact last chapter the very beginning it mentioned two of them by name i think nebo was one of them and bell was the other one and if you think about it they're still focused on their gods and even in daniel they're making more idols made an image of nebuchadnezzar that they're supposed to worship linda so since they don't believe in god they don't know about all the blessings that they're missing so they think they're doing real great absolutely and the interesting thing is is their ability to capture the Jewish people and bring them into Babylon Daniel Ezekiel uh, Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they all were some of the captives but Shadrach Meshach and Abednego as well as Daniel they were enrolled in Babylon University 
the whole goal of Babylon University was to assimilate them into the Babylonian culture of idols. Boy, did that not work. They grabbed four guys in particular, those four that are mentioned in Daniel, and those four guys turned the wise men of the Chaldeans on their heads, and that was Jehovah's doing. And so Jehovah had a witness there. There were things that they should have picked up in seeing the testimony and the boldness of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they didn't lay these things to heart. They also didn't look at the latter end, so they didn't consider the consequences of what they were doing. And then they got a warning says, therefore, now hear this in verse 8. And this gets us to the thing that, that uh, well, actually before we cover their sins, in verse 8 it says, I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. So they had two unexpected events happen, widowhood and loss of children. And they're thinking, that's not going to happen to me. Um, I think most of the people in this room have probably lived long enough to see one or two of those things happen, either to themselves or someone in their family. Um, I have not lost a child, but I have lost a son-in-law very unexpectedly. And that hurt quite a bit. And I think you all can relate to that in some form or fashion. Um, probably almost widowed my wife a couple years back, uh, not intentionally, but just health things come up. We have events like this happen every day, but Babylon and Babylon's citizens didn't think it could happen to them. And so, Isaiah goes on now to mention their sins, and the first one was the one Bobby mentioned, which is their pursuit of pleasure. And if you look at verses 8, 9, and 10, what other sins do you see Babylon committing? Because it mentions about six of them, or maybe seven. Pursuit of pleasure was one of them, and we see that in our society. What would you say, Ron? Okay, between sorcerers and pursuit of pleasure, there's one that's kind of buried in there. I called it carefree living. Okay, they're basically looking at things, and they're basically saying, hey, I don't have to worry about this. It's all taken care of. Um, we see a lot of people in our society today that thinks that our government's gonna take care of them. And the problem is, well, who's gonna pay the bill? Because at some point, the government is going to have to pay up on all the debt that they've incurred supposedly on our behalf, whether we like it or not. And then Ron mentioned sorceries. And so they have pursuit of pleasure, they have carefree living, they have sorceries. What else? 
trusting in wickedness. Okay, between trusting in wickedness is enchantments, which I'm not sure how I would describe the difference between those. I think sorceries and enchantments are kind of tied together. And then you have wickedness. What else? Yes, ma'am. Revelation. It says one of the reasons God's going to fly his wrath is because of sorcery. Yes. The word, the word in the Greek is and it means drug use. Yes. And so it's not just mystical, it's drug, yeah. drug stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in several different places, tied with all of this is drug use. And we see that in our society, and and it's not just in our society, in a number of places. Linda? Looking for where it says, uh, you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. Exactly. So if you look at this, you have man's wisdom that's being proclaimed in a lot of this, but there's also pride which is what Linda just highlighted, is the fact that they said, I am and none else beside me. They didn't think any other city or any other empire could rival them. In some ways, that phrase even shows the rebellion and pride where they're thinking that they even rival God because he's been saying throughout here, there's none else beside Jehovah. And here we see Babylon saying the same thing. And so these are their sins. They tie to a number of different things. We see a number of those, unfortunately, in our culture today. We see the pursuit of pleasure. We see people with carefree living. We see more and more evil tied to various aspects of where I think demons and demonic influences can happen with the sorceries and enchantments. We see some of that in our society today. We see wickedness. We see man's wisdom. And we definitely see pride. And so our culture today, sadly, isn't much different than what Babylon was. Um, and I mentioned this once before, it's my own personal opinion, but I believe the day that our country ceases to help protect Israel, we are ripe for God's judgment. Um, I do not want to see that. It is not something that I take any pleasure in, but when I look at the comparison between the two, it's hard for me to believe that God at some point isn't going to judge our country because we have many, many in our country that have forsaken God and have turned toward man's wisdom and, and idols. Babylon isn't unique in its views, but they also did some things, this was their sins, but they did some things that I felt were challenging God. Um, if you look down here, if you go past the, the consequences that were mentioned of widowhood and loss of children, and you go down 
to verse 10, because we, we covered kind of the sorceries and the abundance of their enchantments. In verse 10, they said, Thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, and thou hast said, None seeth me. What does that phrase, none seeth me, cause you to think about? Roxanne? Okay. One way of looking at that is they think they can do it in secret, they can hide it. There's another aspect to it also, and that's one that may not be obvious, but we see it in our society today. They think that as long as they don't get caught, it's going to be all right. No one can see them, so it's secretive, like Roxanne was bringing up. But there's the other idea that, well, as long as I don't get caught, then I'm all right. Brother Dalton. That, that verse that you just mentioned is true. But we cannot hide from God. He sees us in the darkest place. If you look to your right, he's there. If you look to your left, he is there. If you look before you, you see him. Everywhere you look, his eyes is open. So I, that verse where you said, they say that no one sees him. God sees us. Mm -hmm. God, don't make this. Brother Dalton, as you were saying that, you reminded me of what the psalmist says. He says, if I go into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. The reality is, there isn't anything we can do, say, even think that God doesn't know. And we can't really hide it from him. But they look at it as none seeth me. There's no accountability. As long as they can get away with it, they feel like that's all right. And so we see that in our society today a lot. People do things, and then when they get caught, they aren't sorry for what they did wrong. What are they sorry for? I'm sorry I got caught. And, and it's, it's really important that you listen carefully when people say they're apologizing and saying they're sorry because there's even we as Christians can have that attitude and think we're apologizing and we really aren't sorry for the sin that we did. We're sorry we got caught. I saw your hand in the back. Thank you for being patient with me. Yes, ma'am. Brother just mentioned there was a king, I don't remember which king in the Bible, and said, uh, there's somebody who's betraying me. Everything that I said, they will report it to Israel. And one of his, what is mentioned, of his men said, the God of Israel even see what's going on in your own bedroom. I, I remember that passage. I don't remember the king either, but I remember the prophet because he said Elijah 
God's prophet tells the king of Israel, everything that you say in private in your bedchamber or wherever you're at, I know exactly which passage you're talking about. I just don't remember the king's name. Was it King Ahab? Um, it might have been Ahab that was the king of Israel, but I think it was the king of Syria or Assyria, one of those kings that was complaining because everything he tried to do to conquer Israel wasn't working. And one of his counselors said, the prophet Elijah tells the king of Israel everything that you, you do. So, so I know roughly where to look, but I don't remember the king that was, was saying that. But that's a great passage to bring up, definitely. If you look at this, that's the first thing that they were doing to challenge God was they were saying, none seeth me. But then the last part of verse 10, it says, I am and none else beside me. And so I already mentioned, as long as I don't get caught, it's all right. I am and there's none beside me. Basically, they were claiming I am my own God. And so throughout this, their sin, their challenge of God is going to prompt judgment. And so in verse 11, notice verse 11 says, therefore, which basically is another way of saying, because of everything you've done, all your sins, all your challenges. And I've underlined in, in my Bible three words in this verse in black. Evil is going to come upon thee. Mischief is going to fall upon thee. And desolation. Another word for evil that we could put there is the word disaster. Disaster is going to come upon you. And notice he says, thou shalt not know from whence it riseth. And then mischief it says, thou shalt not be able to put it off. You can't avoid it. So you aren't going to know it. You can't avoid it. And then he says again at the end, thou shalt not know. Usually when the Bible repeats something, it causes me to raise my eyebrows like, hmm, twice he said, thou shalt not know. One of the things that their sorcerers and enchantments and their idol worship involved was the idea of telling the future, of knowing what was going to happen. They believed if they went to war and they cast lots and did various things, and you see Israel doing some casting of lots at times, but for the most part, the prophet of God would tell the king, thus saith the Lord, you should go do this or don't do this. In their case, they felt like a lot of their enchantments and their sorceries and things would give them knowledge of the future. Now, we aren't immune from that today either. How many of y'all have heard of Nostradamus? Okay. Not everybody, but a good number of the class. He supposedly could tell the future. But the, the sad thing about that is a lot of times these enchantments and sorcerers and all, they would kind of connect the dots of what has happened historically 
and kind of extrapolate out in the future and say, okay, I think, only they wouldn't say I think, but this is a, basically what they were doing is, I think this is what's gonna happen. And some of their guesses happened to come true, which then kept people coming and paying to know the future. So that begs the question of us, is it right or wrong to want to know the future? Neither. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> Roxanne? I think if you want to be wise and a good steward, you should anticipate consequences of your choice making, but always not my will, your will be done. You can't control or foresee. Okay. There's a difference between anticipating the future and having to know the future. All of us have the opportunity in our life to kind of look and say, I need to prepare for this. Example could be, at some point, I'm going to have a health problem. So I should anticipate and try and prepare for that. But that's not the same as going to a sorcerer or a mystic or someone to try and know the future. Brenda, you had your hand up too. I think there might have been one other one. Yeah. Some ways we do know the future because in the Bible, God told us clearly what was going to happen in the future. So that part we do know. Okay. Brenda's uh, definitely keying in on what the big issue is, and that is. I don't think it's necessarily right or wrong to want to know the future. What is clearly right or wrong is where you go to try and know what the future is. The Bible gives us a lot of description of, first of all, the tribulation time. Um, and we know if it gets that bad during the seven-year tribulation time, things have to get set up for that, so it's gonna be bad before that happens. And so, before that can happen, there's certain things that the Bible tells us will happen. So the real issue is, who do we go to to know the future? Some people go to their newspaper to the horoscopes, okay? Problem with that is, those are just guessing. They're usually general. And if you go to that and you try and live your life as though that's going to be true, you're going to make some bad decisions based on that. Mystics. Some people go to mystics. and they, Some have their crystal balls and things like that. And we know that Saul went to see a mystic. And there's definitely ties to satanic and de demonic sources. Ouija boards. Um, people don't realize that that opens them up to demonic influences with Ouija boards. All of these, and there's many others, I'm not trying to give you an exhaustive list, but they're all wrong sources that leave us open to demonic influences. Brother Bob? About 20% of the Bible is prophecy. Okay. So, Brother Bob went and probably in his studying found a, a thing that said that about 20% of the Bible 
talks about future events. Now, some of those have already occurred, but if you look at the prophecies of the Bible, none of them have failed. None of them are wrong. One of the things that I think is important for us is to recognize what Isaiah is telling Israel over and over again. He's not saying, go find the future. He's saying, trust God, trust God. He tells them, here's future judgment for all these nations you're trying to make alliances with. If you align yourself with them, you're gonna be under God's judgment along with them. Faith is trusting God without knowing or seeing what is in the future. Isaiah's prophecies, many of those were hundreds of years later, and the people alive at that time didn't get to see those. I like Hebrews 11.1, 1. it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God gives us what he wants us to know about the future. It's not wrong to anticipate the future. I think it is wrong to try and go to sources that are not the Bible to try and know future details that God hasn't shown to anyone yet. If he would have wanted us to know, I think he would have put it in his word. And I don't believe in further revelation. I believe when the canon of scripture was complete, that's all we need. And so our faith is based not on what we see, but it's based on the God that we know from his word. Did I steal your thunder, Ben? No, I was just gonna say, I, I don't think in our fallen human state, we have the capacity to handle all of the truth that God perhaps would have let us know, like what you were saying. Yeah. He has revealed to us what we need to know, what he wants us to know, and that's all we can probably handle. I think you're probably right. And I think I do know the future for the next minute or two, we're gonna have people coming in from the hallway. And so I'm gonna to need to close this. Linda, you get the last word and then I'm gonna close this in prayer. Okay, she has a crab that evidently ties to uh, some of the astronomy stars that are they're tied there. Unfortunately, astronomy then gets perverted into astrology, and that's where it goes goes awry. Well, hold your thoughts. Next week we'll pick up and we'll finish up the last few verses of 47 and get into 48, chapter 48. Thank you for your participation this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is sufficient for everything we need to know about the future. And Father, we're grateful that we know how things end, that our Lord and Savior Jesus is going to come a second time and that he's going to rule and reign. 
Father, we pray for the service that follows, that Christ would be exalted, honored, and glorified through the worship. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.